1: And so, if you would take your Bible while you're turning to Psalm 63, Psalm 63, I just want to tell you that what I'm going to concentrate on tonight is really one single word, and it is the word seek. Seek, S E E K. Hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible, both Old Testament and New. God encourages us, pleads with us, commands us to seek Him. He says in 1 Chronicles 16, don't turn to these, but glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. One of the things I find consistently in the Scripture is a connection between joy and rejoicing and the act of a believer seeking the Lord. He says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore. says in Psalm 40, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Psalm 119 and verse 2, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. Psalm one, or I'm sorry, Psalm 14 in verse two, and one other place ask the same question. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men, to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now I know, in reference to salvation, no man seeks God. I know that He sought us. But this isn't exactly the meaning of that. This is the meaning of people who ought to understand truth. Do they seek me? Do they seek to walk with me? Do they seek to know me? We get up to the the New Testament and Hebrews tells us, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We're told in Matthew 6 and verse 33 that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all the things that we could busy ourselves seeking, God will give to us what we need if we will seek Him first. But we have a problem and Paul identifies that problem in Philippians chapter 2 because he says this, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's." We do a lot of seeking. As a matter of fact, we spend our lives seeking things, uh, seeking things that please us, seeking things uh, that fulfill us, seeking things that satisfy satisfy us, seeking things that enrich us, or on and on and on. I could go. But but what Paul is saying to us is if we're not careful, we spend our whole lives seeking things that are urgent and important but not seeking the most important person in our lives. We come to a season like we're in in our nation and more than any other time in my life, and I believe, it's, I believe it's genuine. I'm not suggesting that people aren't honest when they say it. We recognize the need of our nation. And we recognize how our nation has drifted from the Lord and from the principles on which we were founded. And I hear people seeking God for our nation, seeking revival for our nation, seeking God to bless in this coming election and and on and on and on and on. And I get it and I agree with it. We ought to be seeking God. But one of the problems we have as believers is that we think seeking the Lord is an event in our life instead of a calling for our entire lives. And if we're not careful, we seek God for a thing or we seek God in a season of our life, and I'm not against that, but I'm telling you it's way larger than that. And we ought to be seeking God for our lives. That's what I want to talk about for a bit tonight. In Psalm 63, notice with me. O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed... And meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to meet with us tonight. And in these few minutes that we have, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal a great truth to us. And I pray that you would encourage us to obey the truth that you reveal, and though I am sure in some way each of us do seek you, may we understand the importance of it perhaps more than we ever have before, and may we be more committed after this evening to seek you in a, in a prioritized way in our lives, convict our hearts, and encourage us, and Instruct us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If I could choose a word that I think describes our culture, our society, it would be the word pressure. If not pressure, it might be the thought of stress. We live in a time where all of us feel incredible stress, incredible pressure. I don't think there's ever been a time where people are busier than they are now. If they invent one more time-saving device, I'm going to die. Because it's not saving me time, it's it's eating my time up more than ever before in in my time in my life. Our, ch- our children feel pressured. I, I, they feel pressured to win tomorrow. You better win tomorrow. No, they, uh, they feel pressured from everything from science to soccer, because you gotta get into college and you gotta make that grade to get into college because you gotta have that good job because you have gotta get the stuff that everybody says you gotta have to be a success. And it's certainly not only our kids that feel pressure and stress, we feel pressured and stressed. We've got family problems. We've got economic problems. I, I don't know if you've noticed, we've got a few political issues in our, in our nation. We've got international problems, and we've got personal problems, and, and are you encouraged yet? <laughs> now, here's my point. If we're not careful, hear me, if we're not careful, the pressure and stress of everyday living will direct our lives instead of the Holy Spirit and our walk with God directing our lives. And you and I who know the Lord will be walking in such a way that we look worldly if people checked our daytimers and if people checked our actual events, when in truth, if anybody in the world ought to be more connected and more committed to seeking the Lord, it ought to be those of us who are in this room tonight. Amid the pressure of schedules and society And success, you and I have to make a priority in our lives of seeking the Lord. David was a man who understood pressure. David was a man who understood problems and stress. Man, he was a king. He had the problems of leadership. He knew intimately problems of family issues and the things that could go on in that family. And I want you to know that when we come to Psalm 63, again, I read to you the inscription, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Hey, David, what are you doing in the wilderness of Judah? Oh, well, this must have been when he was a shepherd as a young boy and he was there on the hillsides of Bethlehem and, oh, it was a pastoral and beautiful scene. No, it wasn't. Oh, this must have been those times when Saul was pursuing him and he was in the wilderness of Judea running from Saul. That was not a good time, but that's not the time that Psalm 63 is inspired by. Do you know what's going on in David's life when he is in the wilderness in Judea? His own son, Absalom, has raised an army and taken the city and has pursued him violently out of the city and is now seeking him with a band of men. And if his son finds him, he's going to kill him on the spot and all the family that is somewhere nearby him. I would suggest to you that you'd be hard-pressed to find any more of a difficult moment in a person's life than this moment. And yet, I'm simply astounded when David says, O oh God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. That's not metaphorical. That's not suggesting poetically that I'm going to seek You. It means early in the morning, this morning, I will seek you. Now, here's what I want to try to do today. I want to simply try to give you two thoughts. Number one, what is it to seek after God? And two, how do we seek God? What does it mean to seek after God? A couple of thoughts. Number one, to seek God first requires that we have a personal relationship with God. Every word in the, in the Bible is important. Oh God, thou art my God. That's an important statement where David is saying, I'm not saying that you are abstractly the God of Israel, though he certainly was. I'm not saying that you are the God of my fathers, What David is saying is, I have interacted with you personally, I know who you are, I know you know who I am, thou art my God. The first thing I'd ask you tonight is this, can you say, I know that God is my God, my personal Savior? (laughs) That phrase is going out of vogue these days, you know. They kind of mock it. Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. Hey, I'm really thankful that's true in my life, aren't you? I know in my life there's a clear dividing line, 23 years old, not knowing who God was, not living a single moment of my life with God in mind or for God. And then in February 1975, I get saved, and my friend, since that time, my thinking has been different, my perspective has been different, my life has been different, and I want you to know that standing here, I know the time, I know the place, I know what was said to me, I know what I felt, I know what the Bible said, I know what I said, I know I'm saved. He is my God. I've intimately interacted with Him. He spoke to me. I spoke to Him. God saved me. You know what? You will never seek God properly until you understand that He sought you first. You got to know Christ as your Savior. It wasn't just an impersonal thing. It wasn't just an event. I'll tell this story to illustrate it. Years ago, Pastor Sexton called me. He said, Mike, I'm coming to D.C. and I'm going to meet with the president, and he said, I'm flying into National Airport, and I I don't know how to get over to the White House. Will you pick me up at the White House and carry me over to the White House, and I'll get you in, and we'll go meet the president, and I said, well, preacher, I will be glad to pick you up. I'll be glad to carry you over to the White House, but I said, you're not going to get me in. It's a meeting of Bible college presidents, and though I certainly look like one, They're not gonna let me in that meeting. Well, lo and behold, he gets me in the meeting. And there's about 20 Christian college presidents in that meeting, and they usher us into a room where there's about 20, 25 seats, And, and I don't know why, but they ushered me into the seat in front of the presidential lectern. He was here, I mean, I was sitting right there. Within about five, eight feet, President George W. Bush comes out. He starts talking, talks for quite a while because he recognizes he's with some people that like him. When he's done talking, he comes down around, reaches out, lifts me up, takes my hand, shakes my hand, and says, glad you're here. I am convinced he thought I was Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> as we're shaking hands, I see a poof, and the White House photographer's over there, and he takes the picture of me and President Bush shaking hands. About a week later, my office gets a call. My secretary calls up. She says, Pastor, the White House is on the phone. And I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to bite on that one, you know. No, the White House is on the phone. And and, and I pick up the phone. It's the photographer. He says, hey, were you wearing a blue suit and a yellow tie when you shook President Bush's hand? I said, I was. He said, well, the president wants to send you something. About a week after that, I get in the mail a beautifully framed photograph of me and George Bush shaking hands like we know each other, and we're real buddies, you know. And I say all that to say this. He and I are really close friends. <laughs> He wouldn't know me from Adam. If I bumped into him on the street, I'd be arrested for bumping into him on the street. No, if I'm going to know him, not just be uh, someone who met him, if I'm going to know him, I'm going to have to sit down and talk to him about my life. I'm going to have to hear him talk to me about his life, about his his experiences, and the events that he wants me to know about. And then perhaps over time, we could become more than acquaintances. We could become real friends. Hey, I have a real concern for the generation of believers that we live in. Can I tell you what it is? I believe that we have too many believers today satisfied with a handshake with Jesus. And just to say I know him, And just to say, oh, yes, I'm saved. And just to say, oh, I I go. I mean, our church has services. They almost last an hour a week. My friend, if our experience with Jesus is I met him once, then we are not seeking the Lord. Because seeking the Lord desires intimacy with the Lord. Here's number two. Under what does it mean to seek after God? To seek after God means to desire more of him. David said my soul thirsteth for thee my flesh longeth for thee. David had the Lord but he had an urgent desire to know more of the Lord. It reminds me of the way the Apostle Paul's heart burned. He wanted to be made conformable to even the death of the Lord. He wanted to know the Lord. And not one day did he feel like he had grown enough, that he knew enough. Every day was a pursuit of knowing the Lord more. I love that phrase, early will I seek thee, David says. It has the connotation of urgently awaiting dawn. In other words, you're excited about something because it's it's going to bring something to your life. Nancy and I had three children, Melissa, Chris, and Josh. And they were like normal kids, even though they lived in the preacher's house. And there was... They, they would always get up when they were supposed to get up, but I can't say that they always loved getting up, except for one morning a year. Oh, there was one morning a year where they were anxious to get up. I, I would play with them. I'd I'd say the night before, you know what, I don't get to sleep in and I think tomorrow morning I'm going to sleep in until 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, Dad! Oh, Dad! And, you know, they'd go off to bed and we'd go off to bed and And uh, about five in the morning or so, I'd hear them out on the top of the steps, and and I'd hear Melissa. She was always the boss, and she'd say, now don't make noise or he'll get mad. She knew me. (laughs) And then we'd get up, and they would run downstairs, and what morning was that? Anybody? It was Christmas morning. There was an expectation. There was something waiting for them downstairs. And there was an urgency in their hearts. They had to get down there. They wanted to get down there. When's the last time you felt about your devotions like that? When's the last time it was anything but something you had to get done? Or maybe even something you put off? When was the last time that there was a true expectation? There is something that I want, something that I know is there, something that he has waiting for me, and I can't wait to get there. Let me read to you a very important paragraph from a book by A.W. Tozier, quoting, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. It is so easy to grow complacent in our personal seeking for the Lord. Oh, we're a church and, and good. It's right to be a church and we have ministries at church and and we do things publicly at church and that's good and right, but I want to ask you, where is the intimate? Where is the private? Where is the personal urgent seeking of the Lord? Oh, we seek revival, but how can you seek revival without seeking the Lord? We seek God's help for our nation, but how can you seek help, God's help for your nation without seeking the Lord personally? We seek healing. How can you seek healing without seeking the Lord? Third, under this, understand that only God can fulfill the needs of our hearts. David says, my flesh longeth for thee. Hey, think about something. One day, David is king. He has a palace. He has servants. He has an army. He has a schedule. He has a purpose. And Within less than 24 hours, the gates are breached and Absalom fills the city with his men and David is running out the back of the palace down over the brook Kidron into the wilderness. He has his wives, perhaps uh, uh, Abigail and, and maybe Bathsheba, and they are running down out of the city. They don't have provision. They don't have protection. All they know is they've got to escape with their lives. How do you go from having a palace to the next day having nothing at all and not sure that you're going to live through that day? I'm simply saying that if our existence can only be fulfilled by a throne or by wealth or by a job or by a a partner or by the approval of men, then David is in real trouble because he lost everything. I've lived long enough to live through some bubbles. I'm sure some of you have too. I can remember the stock bubble. You know, if you bought 100 shares of a tech stock, you were going to be a millionaire until 1998 and then pop. And people who thought they were going to be a millionaire recognized they were broke again. I've lived through the housing bubble, have you? People down in the Washington, D.C. area. Preacher, you just don't understand. We never do. You just don't understand. I've got to buy this house and I'm going to buy it and it's going to continue to appreciate. And I know it's $750,000 for a garage, but I'm going to buy it and it's going to be great. I'm going to make money on it. And that housing bubble went pop. I'm just simply saying if what we're seeking are the things that this world offers and oh they always seem appealing and they always seem fulfilling and they always seem satisfying but I don't know if you've noticed it but things in this world can wave goodbye overnight. And David said, you know what I've recognized about the Lord? He never abandons me. He never goes pop. He's always there in the morning. Hey, but he's always there in the evening when I'm in the Judean wilderness scared about what tomorrow brings. I'm glad I've built my life on seeking him. Well, how do you seek the Lord? I mean, it's a great phrase seek the Lord. How do you seek the Lord? Let me give you a few thoughts. Here's number one these are generalizations. Keep a passion for god but you say preacher i've been i've been i've been saved 40 years I mean, come on, preacher. I've been saved 40 years. How do you stay as excited about God after 40 years? How do you, you've read every book in the Bible, you've heard every great preacher. And by the way, we've heard a lot better preachers than you, preacher. How do you stay excited about God? Let me show you something about keeping a passion for God. Look down in verse 8. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. Notice that phrase, my soul followeth hard after thee. You know how you stay passionate for God? You follow hard after God. Well, you say, well, what is that? And I would suggest to you, every person in this room knows what following hard is. I won't have you turn there for the sake of time, but Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. That word follow hard is the same word cleave unto his wife. Do you know how you stay passionate for God? The same way you stay passionate for your spouse. My wife and I have been married 49 years. And to be honest with you, she's over me. I mean, yeah, he was great in the beginning, but now he's just that bald blob. <laughs> now I'm being a little rougher than she is on me, okay? And, and you just have to understand that when a couple's been married 49 years, dated two years before they got married, 51 years, you just have to understand there's there's just nothing there. I mean, we, we we're committed, but there's nothing there. Is that how you want your marriage to be? Let me ask you this. Is that how your marriage is? Of course not. First year of that marriage, you are just excited to be with each other. Fifth year of that marriage, it's, it's exciting to be with each other. You're experiencing new things together in life. 30th year of that marriage, it's exciting because now they're leaving and you're empty nesters. And I mean, you're empty nesters. And, and then 49 years comes and you're figuring out how life ends together. And, you're, and, it's, and it's always new. And I want to tell you, there's a passionate love between my wife and I because of the commitment that we have towards each other and because the depth and understanding of love that has grown. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, if I'm going to be passionate about my wife for 49, 50, 60 years, then I've got to make some decisions. I've got to make decisions like absolutely nothing will come before her. Nothing will come before her. I love to fish, and uh, fishing is a spiritual exercise, (laughs) but if my wife says, I need you to do something other than go fish, I want to tell you, it's not even a question, of course, I will put everything aside for you. There's no other relationship that's going to be more important to me than the relationship with my wife. By priority, she is my best friend. By priority, she is the first one I counsel with. By priority, she is the one that gets my time. There is no other relationship, certainly not with another female, but not even with another male, my best friend. She is my friend. She is my priority. I can't let work displace her. Our church, I don't think we were a big church, but we would run eight or nine hundred on a Sunday morning. We had a school of 425. I had a staff of about 40 people between school and church. And I want to tell you, I don't say that to be boastful. I'm, I'm just telling you, that takes a lot of time. And yet somehow there has to be this understanding nothing displaces her as first. They say, preacher, do you have a point in this? Yes. I'm telling you that at 6 in the morning or 5 in the morning or 8 in the morning, nothing can displace your time with God. I'm telling you, there's no activity in your life that is more important than your time with God. And and you say, you don't understand, preacher. I'm a mom. I've got four or five kids, and they're young kids, and, and you're a man. You really don't get it. I get this. You're saved, and you are to seek the Lord. Find a time. Find a way. When I was pastor of Heritage Baptist Church, all of my men just about worked in Washington, D.C., either the Pentagon or some alphabet organization up in there. And we were exactly 22 miles from the Washington Monument to our church. It, it was a trip of about 25 minutes if traffic wasn't there. But at rush hour in the morning and rush hour in the evening, to travel those 22 miles, if they had to be at their desk at 8, they had to be in their car on 95 at 5.15 in the morning. If they got off at 4 or 4.30, they would come to church at 7 p.m. on Wednesday without having gone home. And I had a man come to me once and he said, Preacher, I just want to get this straight. Uh, I get up at 4.30, I have two and a half hours to commute 22 miles, and what you're telling me is, is that I have to get up earlier to meet with God. And I want to tell you, with no sense of authoritarianism and no sense of foolishness, I said to him, yes. Because there's not a day you can be the, wife to your, the husband to your wife That you need to be without God directing you. And there's not a day that you're smart enough or winsome enough or cool enough to get up and be the children to your, or the dad to your children without meeting with God and seeking His face and having His direction. And I could go on and on with that, but I want all of us to understand this tonight we are nothing without God. And when Paul said, We're all looking on our own things, but not the things of Jesus Christ, this was what he was talking about. This is my schedule. This is my priority. This is my problem. This is my place. This is what I do. What about Jesus? Oh, too busy looking on my own things. We must spend consistent time with God alone. David got alone with God, didn't he? He's in a cave. (laughs) He could have been thinking about provisions. He could have think about what he'd got to do the rest of the day, but he understood that if he did not meet with God, he had no idea how to come up with the right plan and get the right things. He needed God's direction for his life. Then I would say we place God in every single part of our life. God is not a spoke off of our wheel. God is the hub, and everything we do is a spoke off of our God. I'm saying that build your life around who God is. Don't give God some little piece or corner of your life. I want you to notice something with me, and I want to remind you, and I'll close. David is in a cave. He's probably separated himself from his wives and children because his hope is is that if Absalom finds him, he'll kill him and the bloodlust will be over. He'll go back to the city. Sun is coming up. He's no doubt cold. It's very cold in the Judean wilderness. But as the sun is coming up, he's got a million things that he needs to do. He's got to figure out how to feed those kids. He's got to figure out how to protect them. He's got to figure out how to get the city back and his palace back. I'm just telling you that if you ever wanted an urgent day, it was that day for David. And you know what he said? Yeah, but the first thing I'm going to do is seek God. I know I've got all those things to do but I can't do any of those things right until I seek God. I want to show you something. Look at verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. David says, I have satisfaction. Hey, David, you're in a cave You have lost everything. What are you talking about satisfaction for? Notice verse 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. David, you're in a cave. You have nothing left. How are you talking about rejoicing? And David would answer back, because my life was never bound up in that stuff. My life is under the wings of the God who loves me and saved me and who uses me and blesses me. And so I can rejoice because, yes, I've lost a palace, but I haven't lost God. Notice with me in verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Here's what I picture in my mind. I see that king... And he's all alone, and I see him wondering what the day holds, and the sun is coming up in my mind, and he is in the mouth of that cave or in the shelter of that rock or near some bush, and he's on his knees praying, and he's recognizing how bad his situation is. But as he's recognizing that and praying to the Lord, there are, there's praise coming from his lips, and I, I, I see his hands going up because he's acknowledging that all that he has and is is because of God. When's the last time you lifted your hand in praise and gratitude to God? When's the last time you were in that moment, just you and the Lord, seeking the Lord, and God allowed himself to be found, and he opened up the truth and the word, or he opened up some wonderful perspective in your spirit and you were truly satisfied and truly filled and truly moved to praise him. When's the last time? And with this I finish. Maybe the joy that you lack because everything's so bad is because you're navigating your problems and your life as a believer without seeking the Lord. Well, we all give him a head nod. We all assent that he is there and that we need to pray. But folks, seeking the Lord is not an interesting concept for Brother Hooks to do. It's not something that we do for a moment or two when the darkness is there, when the problem is big. Seeking the Lord is something we commit ourselves to in our lives every morning, every day. I won't have you turn there. But Jesus took his disciples to the garden with him the night of his arrest. And he says to them, just watch and pray i'm going to go over here and pray he falls as he goes over to pray and 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 right there in that moment The greatest spiritual battle the world has ever seen is taking place. I mean, he is going to the cross. The devil is fighting him. The devil is fighting all that is good and all that is God. And he is pouring out his heart and he is pleading and and he's deciding and he's yielding his will. And the greatest spiritual battle the world has ever seen is taking place. And walk over here. Hey, Peter, James, John. They're asleep. They're asleep. And Jesus looks at them and says, Could you not watch with me for one hour? I'm not placing my emphasis on the one hour. But I am placing my emphasis on this. Where is the priority in your life to seek God? Preacher, I'm afraid of the virus. Are you seeking God? Preacher, our nation needs revival, but are you seeking God? Preacher, my children, my grandchildren, but are you seeking God? Well, preacher, you don't understand. I'm too busy. Yeah, you are. You're way too busy. Seek the Lord. Would you pray with me? We talk about it. We, heard, we sure hope somebody else is. But tomorrow morning at 5 in the morning, I'm glad somebody's seeking the Lord, but I don't have time. Because I've got to get off to my Christian duties or I've got to get off and make money for my family. I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And, and, and I've just got to, I don't have time. So I'm asking you tonight, is there a priority in your life of seeking the Lord? I'm not telling you how. I'm not telling you when. I'm not telling you anything, but I'm encouraging you, seek the Lord, for in seeking Him in the face of the most horrible circumstances, there is joy, there is satisfaction, there is praise, there is strength, there is stability.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.